You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Susan Drum, and she is CEO and Chief Empowerment Officer at Meritage Leadership. We're going to learn more about her and her background. I'm always excited about having other people that are focused on organizational development, working with CEOs and their leadership teams. Susan, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Bruce. It's great to be here. So why don't we start with learning a little bit more about your background and how you got into this whole organizational development space. So tell us the story. Sure. It's um, it's actually a pretty eclectic story. I'm fascinated actually by this concept of polarities, which is essentially how can you hold two seemingly very different things at the same time yeah. as opposed to choosing one or the other. And I think in my own life, I've lived some seemingly strange polarities, maybe strange to others, but not <laughs> um, <laughs> On the one hand, I can be highly analytical and driven, I guess, as evidenced by what was required to graduate from Harvard Law School. And on the other hand, I can be highly creative as evidenced by my acting career and getting a master's in acting. And this was, I would say, five years after graduating from law school. So people might look at these two things and say, wow, that's how did you manage to pursue such different things? Yeah. And certainly I can understand that response because our society encourages you to choose one polarity and drill down further and further in expertise. And yet, had I not pursued that polarity in my career, I probably would never have discovered that the career I'm doing is perfectly suited for me and that it's actually essential for my success. So, you know, law, law teaches you how to make distinctions. In fact, the LSAT is all about testing your ability to say which of these things is not like the other. And the use case for that in law is applying it to case law. But I use the same skill in being able to decipher or understand distinctions around mindset and how people think. And so I can hear a limiting belief. I can hear a certain set of actions. And with every mindset, there's a price and a payoff. So I usually bring that to consciousness for most people um, that I'm coaching most of the senior teams that I work with so that they can see essentially where their blind spots would be. So that that piece very much focuses in what I do today. I have a strategy consulting background from BCG. So I'm looking at the intersection of leadership and strategy. And then um, I learned a ton in the acting world because as an actor, you have to be able to develop that executive presence, but that ability to be authentic and connect with others. If you're up on stage and you, you're worried about that inner critic inside your head that each of us ultimately has, and you're thinking, oh my God, this guy's looking at his phone or what if I forget my lines or I can't believe my fellow actor is blowing his nose in the middle of the scene. (laughs) You're going to look really bad. And so that ability to kind of stay present and focused and connect and be authentic 
are all the skills that actors need. And it was through that process that I realized, my God, there's got to be a way I could bring this to business. And essentially, that's how I got into leadership development. And I've been doing this work now for 16 years and 13 years with my own company. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. I like the the idea of the polarity or the integration of these two different seemingly extremes. I mean, I guess, how, how much did you find that they weren't really as extreme as maybe they appear on the surface. I mean, where, where have you been able to kind of draw connections between these two different backgrounds and, and actually see that there, there's actually common underpinnings or, or relationships that may not be there at first sight? Well, you know, I believe that there are different forms of intelligence and sometimes people just look at like raw IQ, but obviously there's EQ and that ability to bring both of those things together. It's just leveraging different sides of the brain. Yeah. And where I find connections is... Again, one one is around the need to have that level of connection, but the other one is using analytical skills to be able to hear distinctions and how people are thinking. So bringing those two together is is a way of really providing a much more balanced picture. And in fact, the reason my company name is Meritage is um, is really based after the Meritage wine, which is a blend. And so I believe that you need to have a balanced, I like it. a very balanced and blended approach to leadership and really need to understand and sort of not overuse a strength. You know, I think there's a lot of talk around, oh, just play your strengths, just play your strengths. I haven't found that great to leverage your strengths, but a strengths can easily be overused and become a pitfall. Yeah. And that's where the trouble can lie. So I think that that idea of balance all around is is really the approach that we take. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's kind of keying in for me. I was trained as, as an architect originally. And and I think there is there is something to that being both kind of engineering and analytical and creative and kind of intuitive that has certainly fueled my career and, and has gotten me into this sort of same place of being looking at teams because part of it is structure. Part of it is being able to see the pattern, see how things are woven together and and the kind of connections and the results of those connections but then part of it is in the kind of the intuitive and the creative side so i, I yeah. get i get the space i get i get why you've gotten into this space because of that background so it makes a lot of sense so let's talk about that that idea that you kind of finished there on which is the the idea that we all have kind of strengths and weaknesses and kind of playing to strengths focusing on blends uh, you know looking at different strategies and uh, and being you know adaptive to situations i mean i guess what's your what's your experience or as you've worked with leaders and teams in these situations, how do you kind of manage this whole strength versus weakness, you know, developing folks? What's your take on that? So I use a couple of different tools to help people see that, you know, the one in particular that I love using to help people understand the strengths, but how to keep them in balance, but also start to discover a little bit more of the blind spot is the Enneagram. Yeah. And I'm so passionate about this tool. It is far deeper than any other, let's say, I don't like to call it personality assessment, but because it's much more than that. But let's say the biggest comparisons are to something like DISC or Myers-Briggs, which you may be familiar with. This is far deeper and far richer. And it is that much more impactful in working in team setting. The concept is, you know, leaders lead in different ways. And I use it to help people understand what your primary leader leadership style is. There are nine different primary styles of leadership and they're based on your underlying motivator or driver. Okay. 
So understanding your leadership style helps pave the specific development path for you. I think the, the best analogy is, you know, the chameleon is an amazing animal. Like the chameleon can see 360 degrees and has yeah. sort of alternating eyes, right? One can look forward, one can look back. And um, I think we as human beings think we're like the chameleon. We think we see 360 and we see the <laughs> truth as it is, right? But we actually, we don't. If you look straight ahead and you put your arms out and you slowly bring them in, you can see like, where does my career? vision stop but maybe it's about 40 percent or so yeah. of the full 360 and so you think about that there's there's a whole bunch of stuff going on behind your head that you don't realize and yeah. that's that's basically how blind spots work yeah so the model really shows you what your what your strength is and where your focus of attention naturally lies and therefore because of that you have some incredible gifts but because of that you also have some natural blind spots yeah and working on those, but also learning who do you need on your team to be able to complement those blind spots. That's where doing this kind of work in a team setting can be really powerful. And I think it's a great point because I see this all the time is, you know, a leader sees another company, sees another leader and looks at the team they've built around them and they say, oh, well, they've been super successful. I'm going to go out and build a team just like that. And they start working on building a team just like that <laughs> yeah. and they fail miserably. <laughs> and I think it's because of this issue. It's because they, well, they're a, they're a different person. They have a different leadership style, they have a different set of blind spots. And so if they just adopt that other leader's strategy or, or team, well, that team worked really, really well because they were covering that leader's particular blind spots. That may not be your blind spot. So that's, I think it's it's really, it can be really dangerous to kind of go out and try to model yourself around these, around another team. I mean, so so tell us about what what are some of the, the kind of leadership styles or the leadership drivers or the, the motivators yeah. that, that cause the leadership styles and, and some of the blind spots that start to come up or the blind spots that you know occur because of that focus yeah absolutely so i mean i could wow i could talk for days <laughs> on this topic but i maybe some it would be good to give you an example yeah, of where this was a completely amazingly effective in a team setting and that's where why i don't use something like myers-briggs for instance is you know it's so hard to remember you're an istp yeah. and that means what and i'm yeah. an entj and Therefore, how do I relate to you? Like it's not, it doesn't have, once people, teams learn the nine styles, they also learn that there's variation in the styles with something called subtypes. Yep. Once they learn that, it's much more easy to understand how I relate with you because I get it. And what we're looking at is what's motivating you or driving you, not like behavior at the top level, but more the underlying motivator or driver. So the example I have for you is, um, there was a team that was uh, dominant weighted on the enthusiastic visionary. It's called type seven. Okay. And this type is, uh, they're great brainstorming partners. They're always looking at possibilities. They're always looking at, you know, what could potentially be done. They're looking at what's possible and they live in the future so they can see the horizon and, you know, come up with creative solutions to address that. And, but their blind spot is sometimes making those a reality, right? They, they almost can see it as though it's done and like, let somebody figure out like how to execute or make that happen. Yeah. But, um, so wonderful strengths, but if I had a team that was dominant on that, and then they had another member of their team, which was a type six, which is called the loyal skeptic. And the loyal skeptic is very opposite in the sense that is always looking troubleshooting. Yeah. What could potentially go wrong? Yeah. Where, where are the risks? Where are the challenges? 
And if you can imagine, the sevens were all excited about some new processes and the six would try to bring in, well, that's not going to work because it's <laughs> Just shoot it down. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, at a point she was ready to leave. Yeah. And she was like, this is not working for me. And it wasn't until first, the work that we do is first to understand your own type in more depth, but really start to get clear on that blind spot. And then when you bring the team together, there's a new appreciation. Yeah. And I think that's what the sevens on this team really gravitated to is like, wow, this six really can help us. We need to listen to her. And at the same time, the six can present or communicate maybe in a more palatable way to the seven, right? And so each of them are making careful adjustments, but coming from a new level of respect and appreciation for cognitive diversity. And that's, that's ultimately what we're, the best teams have are are a bit more diverse cognitively. Mm -hmm. However, they can also be the ones that have the most conflict and helping teams work through that conflict and understand it's actually to their benefit and how to work more effectively. That's what we do. Yeah. And let's talk about that one for a second, because I think it's another one that's fascinating is I think one of the challenges or one of the things I see a lot of teams struggle with is actually they're, they're kind of too nice. You know, they mm. are so focused on trying to kind of have good, positive working relationships is they they don't learn or they fail to engage in real, you know, constructive, healthy debate around issues and topics. I guess, what's, what's your experience in terms of dealing with this whole kind of conflict, you know, constructive, destructive conflict on teams, how to find or build the right kind of conflict to advance ideas? I mean, what, what, do you, what have you seen in terms of the dynamics and how does it relate to the, the different types from the Enneagram? Yeah, well, what you're describing does sound like a team I worked with that was more heavily weighted towards a type two, which okay. is the considerate helper. Oh, yes. <laughs> and um, so the considerate helper is, or sometimes called the strategic supporter. So very empathetic, almost can yeah. feel others' feelings as if they're their own, um, yeah. very focused on people, wonderful team players, incredible heart that they bring to everything that they do. However, sometimes delivering the tough message can be challenging for them because they're like, oh, I don't want to hurt that person and I want to make it nice. And what the Enneagram teaches us is their direction of growth is very specific. And that's why I also love it. The the other things they don't tell, they just tell you what you are. They don't tell you what to do with it. Where the Enneagram really very much has a system that points to here are the exact types that you can benefit the most from. Surround yourself with these people, talk to those people, learn a bit more and start to work how you give feedback differently, how you delegate differently as a result of that. And for the type two, what they they can learn the most from are something we call the arrow lines. There's these little lines in the diagram of the Enneagram, which is a circle okay. that point to specific types. So the type two can learn a ton from the type eight, which is the active controller. These are very powerful types that are extremely direct. Yeah. Um, and also type four, which is the intense creative, which isn't afraid to look at the downsides of things as well and really be far more in tune with their own emotional needs. Sometimes the, the considerate helper can be so focused on others that they don't really get their own work done (laughs) because they're supporting everyone else. Um, So the airlines point to the direction of growth and then what we call the wing styles, which is what's on either side of your number. So the type two would be there's something they can learn from type one, Mm -hmm. the strict perfectionist and something they can learn from type three, which is the competitive achiever. So essentially for every type, there's four, four potential paths of growth. 
And, and so we'll work with t- either individually, we'll work with leaders to understand what those four paths of growth are and help them attract or build that on their team, but also look for others that they know that may be that type that they can learn from as a result of that. And then in the team setting, it's really thinking about, well, how can we bring other types of leaders on that might have this skill set? Or how can I actually appreciate let's say the directness of the eight or the emotional intensity of the four in a new way. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think for, for listeners here, I think one of the things I find, you know, companies that are in this high growth mode or, or, or really looking to expand and, and scale the business, you know, the, the whole kind of development of the leadership team is, is a key process and a key facet here. And so, you know, the CEO going from basically kind of running the show themselves to really surrounding themselves with the team, like this stuff becomes really important because you now have to operate through this leadership team on how you're going to grow and scale the business. You don't have sort of direct control of all these pieces. Mm-hmm. What, what are, what are some of the things a CEO, you know, a leader in this position can do to start to, you know, think about this, become more aware? I just I see so many sort of founders who get start to go in this in this mode and it's they they're kind of a one trick leadership pony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got one way of kind of doing everything and uh-huh. then, you know, they, they start to grow and they start to scale and, and and it stops working and they they're kind of stuck and either either they push hard and they just create a lot of organizational drama or they end up hitting kind of the ceiling and they just can't get past a certain stage of business. What are some of the things they can do to start becoming more aware or start thinking about this and even even using some of these tools or these ideas to to deal with this? Yeah, that's why I think that this this framework, one is getting feedback. Where are the blind spots, right? There's there's two different paths. You get 360 feedback and we have another 360 model that we use um, a lot, the leadership, the leadership system and the leadership circle. Super powerful to understand where what others are saying about what your blind spots. But a shortcut way is also the tool that we're using with the Enneagram around your, it's a self-assessment. And then you get some feedback based on your report to ask how ingrained are these the blind spots that are showing up in my report how ingrained are they now one caveat i'm going to say is what makes the enneagram powerful is also what makes it a little bit more challenging it's far more complex and there's some like free assessment tools online but i would tell you they're not very accurate (laughs) a lot of them are not accurate this is a far deeper tool so originally i did all my enneagram typing through interview based i you know it's been 45 minutes with someone asking them a series of questions that I was trained on. Now we have a much stronger tool that you have to use through an Enneagram practitioner that has, I think over, it's 175 questions, but they're over 1200 in the database. And it's using fractal mathematics to keep kind of checking and rechecking and bringing a different set of questions based on your answers. So it's far more sophisticated than some of these like free online tools. Okay. Um, the good thing is no one owns the Enneagram. So I also like it for that reason. It's it's actually quite an ancient symbol and there's a whole you know, spiritual side yeah, to it um, yeah. that sometimes people have even used it in churches and other formats. I've, and I think where my firm has been successful is we've really brought it into the business community to say, turn it to focus on what is, there's distinct types of leadership styles. And based on that, 
there are distinct ways that you naturally give feedback, right? The one trick pony, Mm -hmm. but others don't, maybe that feedback works for you, but it's not going to work for some of the other eight types. And so learning what that is, like how you modulate your style based on, on that. And, and that not everyone sees the world the way you do. Yeah. (laughs) But I go around the room at the end of these sessions, you know, and I ask, what's your biggest takeaway? It's like, wow, I thought everyone thought like me. And now I realize there's, there's such, Variety and I appreciate the variety. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of this kind of a lesson of life. I mean, I don't know if you've gotten into love languages and all these things, but it really life boils down to the fact that we usually think everyone else is just like us when they're not. And the more we can appreciate the fact that other people are different, maybe we need to adjust the way we approach something. Is uh, is is kind of that fundamental? Uh, so, in terms of you know, once you identify these things, I mean, I guess do you see this as you have your strong type and you just kind of figure out coping strategies, or is there a kind of a, a bigger picture? here in terms of actually sort of developing your kind of capability or developing your ability to actually step into these other types based on situation or circumstance and things like that. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Well, you you never change your type through your lifetime, but you grow okay. within your type and growing means you become more highly integrated and integrating means you're just integrating the other types and you're not so rooted within your personality structure. Got it. So if, if, if the way the Enneagram helps us understand the limiting personality box that each of us is in so we can get out of our box and grow as leaders. So the first place of growth, again, is the, the four that I mentioned, the airlines and the wing styles. Those, those are the first place you look. But but over time, the more advanced leaders, you know, you can have a, in the examples I've given you so far, you can have an incredibly high functioning type six or incredibly not high functioning type six. And it's all about where are you in your level of growth within your type. All types are valuable. And the level of growth, again, is not as rooted within the personality structure, but a lot more integrated. Yeah. Yeah, well, so then that was kind of my next question. Are there, and, and I guess I'll I'll give you, you know, there's no, ultimately or, or at the highest level, there's no good or bad type or right or wrong type, but do you find that there are certain types that do better in certain types of situations or certain types of stages of a company or through certain challenges that a company may face? I mean, what, what's your sense on kind of applying type to kind of situation or context? Yeah, I mean... I've I've noticed a few trends. Um, I would say on average, more CEOs are either the type eight active controller Mm -hmm. or, uh, or sometimes called the protector or type three, which is competitive achiever or sometimes called the performer. So more CEOs are, are that by very nature of uh, both of those really go after challenges. And there's some key distinctions between them, but they step out. But there's also, I think, early stage CEOs who are really out of the box thinkers can tend to be type seven, like I said, that um, enthusiastic visionary. However, they, they would really need support as the company scales to do a little bit more of the stuff that the seven doesn't want to do. Like, you you know, it'd be great to have a strict perfectionist on your team or competitive achiever on your team to be able to fill in those, those blind spots while you're still being the visionary out there. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the the really early stage stuff is fascinating because I think, you know, on one hand, you almost have to be borderline delusional to to start a company because it takes <laughs> yeah. it takes so much just belief uh-huh. belief in the idea in yourself in the future that I think at some level it it it's irrational <laughs> at the very beginning <laughs> yeah. and it's pushing through it. But that sort of irrationality can come back and bite you on the other side once you kind of get scaling. I, I, I was watching I'll just I won't name names, but watching a, a documentary on uh, I think it was Netflix about 
about a company, recent company that kind of blew up in dramatic, dramatic way. But it was essentially that. It was essentially, you know, a founder who, you know, was so... Uh, so convinced and so believed so hard that they could make it work, but ultimately, yeah, didn't have the right people on the team around them to really check, bring in some checks and balances really once they got to the size that we need to make sure this stuff is really working, we need to make sure it's going right, we need to make sure we're following checks and balances. So I think it's it's interesting to see at different stages of companies and, and different situations that companies in, how the different types or the different leadership styles will kind of play out in, in different ways. And I, I can imagine that a lot of the work you do is kind of figuring out or diagnosing, what is the situation here? What are they trying to get done? What is the work to be mm-hmm. done? And w- what does the leadership look like? What does the team look like? And how is that either helping or hindering them in overcoming or, or dealing with the situation? Exactly, exactly. I mean, most leadership teams, I'm not saying like you have to have all nine types although that's great, but let's say you don't have nine, you know, your leadership team is five people. But one of the conversations we have are, okay, here are the natural perspectives that each of you are going to bring, but let's look at the missing perspectives. And what are the types of questions you can be just to make sure that you ask in the future that you think about when you're making decisions that if you had somebody on your team that was this type, they would naturally bring. But since you don't, let's just be more conscious or aware that we may not think about this, but we need to like, as our sort of checklist when we're going down decisions, think about it from that perspective and the types of questions that they'd be asking. Yeah. Well, I like that. And I, I mean, I literally like the idea of a checklist, which is kind of the, how do we create system and process and structure around us to help, to help with that blind spot? You know, so if we typically don't go through the details, like how do we create a, a trigger, you know, a frame, a lattice around us that will help reinforce that or, or, or give us a better chance of being able to kind of go through those steps and slow us down and, you know, think through them or, or vice versa. You know, if we're, you know, if, if a team, I've seen this as teams get overly analytical, right? They just, they get so wrapped up in, you know, the details and the execution plan and the 57 mm-hmm. things that need to be, you know, mapped out that they kind of lose, you know, the emotional side of it or the connectiveness or being inspiring, yes. like how, and then how, what can you do to surround yourself with some kind of system or process that will remind you or kind of help you with making sure that you're balancing that stuff out. Exactly. Exactly. So often I'll see, I work with a lot of financial services, you know, financial services, healthcare, tech, and as well as like overall professional services. And there's not often the type four, which is the intense creative type. Mm. And although I would see that in more immediate companies that I've worked with, but if you had a type four, they would naturally bring the question of, you know, what's, what's their overall purpose? Like what's meaningful here and tie people back to sort of meaning and purpose that really is motivating and fueling for the rest of the organization. And when a leadership team is too focused on the tactical, they miss that piece and therefore people don't feel connected to a mission, an overall mission the way they could. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so I'm curious for, for you as a leader who's who's worked with a lot of teams, but has a team themselves and, and has grown this, what are some of the things you've learned in terms of, you know, your, your strengths and areas that you've know, you know, you need to kind of create balance or create process or surround yourself with folks? How have you applied it to your own situation? Oh, yes. Well, I always, I'm very much someone who walks the talk. So I do <laughs> work on this myself before <laughs> leading others on it. Uh-huh. My type is enthusiastic visionary as well. Uh-huh which is how I see possibilities. And yet I can, let's say, miss the, some of the details that my team, I basically surrounded myself with a couple considerate helpers, a strict perfectionist and a competitive achiever. 
And so each of those are doing a wonderful job balancing me out. So I'd say like very simply, before anything goes out the door, I have my team review it yeah. because I'm not going to see the typos. Like yeah. it's just, not gonna, I, I try to work on that, but you know, that's just a simple example. But I think for my, my own journey, it's been looking at also, I'll use them as sounding partners. Like, here's the idea I'm thinking of. What do you, you know, what am I not seeing? Yeah. Or where could I, where, what's the blind spot here for me? Because I see this as a no-brainer because that's my type, right? And <laughs> exactly. what are you seeing that could be the potential drawback? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good one. Uh, I, think, I think it's one of the best things a leader can do on their team is, is create a culture and create space and create process so that that discussion can happen you know effectively because I think that there's there's a way to do that that can that can be effective and you can actually get that feedback and you can incorporate that into your decision making and stuff and then there's the the kind of the okay well everyone tell me give me their feedback but if it's not you know if, the, if it's really not the right sort of setup and the right context and you haven't created the right culture around it you're just not going to get you're not going to get the information you need because sometimes that information does you don't want to see it it may be disagreeable or it may make things more complicated or it may you know it may make the idea you have harder to implement but you need it if you're going to be successful overall so good insights if people want to find out more uh, about you and the work that you do what's the best place to get that information how do you find out more yeah you go to meritageleadership.com it's m-e-r-i-t-a-g-e leadership.com and I have a blog. I don't send out a ton of stuff, maybe once a month, mm-hmm. but there are usually some interesting tidbits on applying this tool and some of the other tools that we use. So um, would love to connect. That's great. I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes so people can click through and, and get there. Susan, this has been a pleasure. Great insight, great discussion. I always love, I love the whole type and the looking at style and flexing style on, on teams because I think it's one of the, the fundamental things you know, a leader needs to do to grow. So really important discussion and, and I had a lot of fun. Yes, me too. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to talk about something I'm so passionate about. Great. Thank you, Susan. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.